So welcome to the Red Review podcast, a very special episode because I'm sitting here next to Jeremy Brim. We're in the same place at the same time. Yeah, which is which is which is not very common for us. So we're just saying our second ever podcast record. No, third ever recorded together. So we did the CV episode. Yeah, in a lawyer's office that we pinched a meeting room from. We did the live episode at the APMP UK. Uh, career accelerator day and now after a busy afternoon of realizing how behind we are in the planning for most of our events and activities we're recording a podcast finish the day off with a bang <laughs> yeah <laughs> a bang and a massive to-do list um of uh, actions uh, i think we've talked before on the podcast about how much effort actually goes into trying to get the, the breakfast events in particular and, and now our conference um to the right quality and uh yeah it's it's proving proving a challenge certainly to balance availability of people and diaries and dates and content and all that sort of thing. so it's been a busy day so how are you jez i'm good thank you all the better for hanging out with you for the day lovely lunch yes we had a nice Very lunch nice. Thank, thanks little good quiche yeah very good, very good quiche <laughs> and we are joined as well by dash the podcast dog who is actually just sitting sitting next to us right now. I didn't realise he has a podcast chair of his own because <laughs> I can't normally see. So. No, normally we record on on the bed. Oh, because yeah. the, the acoustics. So we've, we've just covered my dining room table with a blanket to try and improve the acoustics a bit because we don't want too much echo. But we normally record on the bed because lots of soft furnishings and blinds oh, and that sort okay. of thing. And I think you probably do the same thing. He, you know, he doesn't normally sit with me and then get bored about twenty minutes in. But um, yeah, so we've had a busy day. Yes, no, but useful and productive. Yeah, I think so. I think so. So exciting stuff to come, anyway. Yeah, so we've been chatting about our breakfast events. Next one's in March, um, and we got approached this this week or last this week, wasn't it, about doing one in Birmingham? Yeah. Um, so trying to work out how we do that logistically because it's quite easy, particularly for me in London, because the venue we use is twenty minutes from my house. Um, and we've kind of got a bit of a routine going now, so we're going to have to kind of start again, really, with Birmingham and finding the right venue, which has to be a social enterprise and has to be accessible by public transport. And I don't. This sounds really silly. Do people in Birmingham or throughout the surrounding area get up as early as people in London? So if we open doors at seven thirty, but but you know, but Leicester. When I worked in Leicester for ten years, most people didn't turn up to about nine o'clock because travel, getting into the city, parking. Kind of a slightly different different working culture. Uh, I could sort of answer that because I've worked in Birmingham and my, my, I found a wife there. Yeah, um, <laughs> just found her. Yeah, why not? <laughs> Let's not do that story, actually. But she did ask me out. Um, that's true. I say it to anyone that will listen because it's completely unbelievable. Um, so, no, it's a bit more like London in Birmingham, but just friendlier. Um, so working hours practices are fairly similar because of there's a million people within six miles of the center of Birmingham yeah that's very true um, uh, but it's actually a really really lovely place to work really the, the business community from the city center uh, is actually quite small and you know where all the lawyers live and you know where all the um, professional Cold, services in people, place exactly yeah so um, yeah it's actually it's a very big little city that's the cool. I put it. Anyway. So look forward to an event coming to you this year in Birmingham. Touch wood. Hopefully. Hopefully. Um, and then we had a chat about the um, bids and proposal con in Nashville. Yes. Trying to get our heads around this thousand person conference in somewhere we've never been before. And we haven't heard yet whether we've got individual <laughs> or, or combined speaking slots. Which no, because it should go out to vote shouldn't it i think so i think, think it's crowdsourced i think it is. i think it was i think they're the ones who trialed it and i think it's a really good idea um equally i think there have been some challenges with not vetting some of the presentations at the uk one i don't know if they're the same problem with the us one but mm. you know I, I think i talked before i went to i went to a real mix of of sessions at the uk one some which were fantastic and others which were kind of like um there was one which was essentially someone had got John Williams's Proposals Essentials book and for all intents and purposes read it for an hour. Right. I like had made slides that basically had all his kind of concepts of bid management. 
in a presentation and then just kind of pitched it. And he was just like, this is really bizarre. Like, this is what I learned 10 years ago and I started bidding. Mm. And basically had made their own presentation saying, here's a book I read and here's what's in the book and then played the book back. So I think there's, there's a positive benefit in the crowdsourcing. We did talk before, actually, when we had our, our bid dinner um, about it'd be good to understand the kind of maturity or the the complexity of the topic people are presenting because there are kind of different some people will go because they're not yet heads of bids and they want to hear about how you build the bid team maybe someone talking about that like that is interesting but equally um i'm not going to hear how to better format your word documents or manage executive summaries and stuff i'm looking for kind of cutting edge pushing the boundaries type stuff and it's quite sometimes on that crowdsourcing approach maybe that's quite hard to for people when they're voting to pick out which of the ones are kind of yeah so we'll see well, so let's see when they come out to vote we'll uh, obviously ask for some help from our audience i guess yes yeah yeah <laughs> hack it yeah absolutely well, actually well whilst we've been sitting here a friend a friend of mine is a, a cabinet member in newham council has been messaging getting us to vote on a an online poll about them introducing parking charges in newham basically if you live in newham you get a free a free parking permit your first one is free and they're introducing i think it's a six pound charge for the parking permits but oh, it's exploded because <laughs> I, I can understand that. newham is the most deprived um borough in london one of the most deprived areas in the uk and actually six pounds for a parking permit is quite a lot of money to some people but um they're introducing this kind of tiered thing where if you've got an electric car you're you're, you're free and then up to like a big gas guzzling four by four land rover you're paying 150 pounds a year for your parking permit so we've been we've been online voting in the online poll today to try and help them out so maybe we'll call on him to vote for us as well um you must be close now to your web app event yeah that's a good point well made um so yeah i'm just in the middle of organizing the prep, the prep call for that so it's on the 12th of march in milton Keynes at, mm. the, at the hotel that's on the side of the football stadium Quite a good venue, actually. I've been to some big networking events there. Have you? Yeah. It's um, the one by Primark, the football stadium. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, because I'm hosting a panel uh, on mentoring. Ooh. Um, so, had we not talked about this on the podcast I before? think we have a little bit. Remind me who's on your panel. Um, so I have got uh, a lady called Kate Ryby, who uh, was sort of her idea, actually. She's one of my mentees. I've got four, so hence I couldn't take part in the APMP mentoring thing this year because I've already the stable is full. Um, so we've got Kate, uh, we've got Mel, who's the past chairman of APMP UK, uh, because we couldn't get Peter Coyle, isn't it, who's, who's led the mentoring thing that APMP are mm-hmm. doing, but Mel oversaw that as the chair as one of her big things she did in her year so um i've got mel on that and a lady called poonam from pwc who's ex oh we did talk about it last time didn't we yeah 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 who does mentor uh, a lot of people and has quite an impressive bio that she sent me has she yeah wonderful things she does so when i saw hers i fucking rewrote mine I'm sure. I love Poonam. In fact, I messaged the other day, she's not come back to me, because I've been doing a bit with, with she works at PwC, doesn't she? Every, yeah. thing, every time I go to PwC, I send her a picture of me and her foyer saying, I'm coming to get you. But I think she works in the other PwC office in London, because they've got two of them. Oh, one yeah, at, yeah. Um, London Bridge, one at, um, uh, down the road, I can't think where it is. Um, so we're talking about bid team design today, and I guess resource design for, for bidding teams. Um We've got a few kind of topics to chat around, so shall we? Shall we go straight into it? Yeah. So the topic we set ourselves to chat about today is: if you were starting from scratch, how would you design the perfect bid team, and what are the things you need to be considering um, in the kind of fundamentals of team design? Yeah. Um, do you in, want in theory because we don't want anyone to sue us <laughs> if we because every sector is different and all that sort of stuff. But yeah, but in a in a in a perfect world, I guess we can talk about that, can't we? Oh, I wonder. What, I want to know what you're going to say now that someone could sue you. Oh yeah, just people can be funny about these things, can't they? 
um, particularly as we go out worldwide. So I don't, you know, I don't want some American sharp-suited lawyer coming after me because I said a bid team would do something. Oh, right. I see what you mean. Okay. So, so yeah, don't sue us. That's the caveat. <laughs> are, we, are, we, to are we now having to caveat the, the <laughs> podcast? And please don't sue us for anything we said previously. Yes. Um, so what do you need to consider, do you think, when you're thinking about designing a new bid function? Um, it's an interesting question, isn't it? So are you... I was thinking about this on the drive down to come and see you. So there's lots of variables, aren't there, at the moment? And we were just talking off air about um, the people element and the, how that's changing in itself. Um, the ability to offshore and virtual working and what that means in terms of leadership and management too. And then just IT and tech and where that space is going, mm. particularly IT, uh, sorry, particularly AI, um, and what the impact of that's going to be. So there's a there's a few things to talk through there, isn't there? Yeah, I, I suppose I, I suppose I've always said, I've always approached this though that probably the first thing you need to work out is what's the problem you're trying to solve. Yeah, yeah because there's there's probably a, you know and different people advocate different different ways of designing a bid team, but it depends on what the challenge is. So if you are you an organisation that's got a high turnover of low value bids, in which case you probably need a lot of bodies are you doing stuff that's quite repetitive and there's there's probably therefore more of an, a learning angle to build in you're right technology is actually a big thing so i think more often than not and, I, and i've seen it from from people that they'll design a team around people as opposed to the functions and the technology as well as just the resources and and funny enough and and i'm sure this isn't consistent across the public sector but some of my colleagues who work at the civil service kind of have made a joke recently about a company we work with that their approach to mobilizing projects is design an organogram and then just go and find people to fill it mm. you know so they start really with the people what the people are going to do rather than what's the outcome we're trying to achieve and working back from there so i think the, i think the outcome you want to achieve is number one so um you know are you doing it because you need to w increase your win rate is there a quality problem um how does your bid function fit into the organization is probably a key consideration yeah you know are you a kind of more tech focus so you've got a sales team that hands stuff over and therefore you need a bid team who's quite good at taking something on quite late in the sales process and almost a, as the app we've got a proposal function that pumps the proposal out or are you more like the sectors that we work in construction consultancy where the bid team is involved more in the kind of the last phases of capture win strategy win themes etc and then takes the bid on and kind of has more ownership of the bid with the subject matter experts seeing it through both the sales capture piece and then into the bid and then going on to delivery i.e you know you have a, a, a you know the legal partner in your legal practice who goes and finds the work nurtures the relationship leads the bid and then um goes on and works with that client once they successfully read it and i guess the other thing is also where what are the skills and functions you need depending on who actually drives the bid process? So I've worked in organizations where both, and there are different bid teams for different functions of the business. One where the bid team is very reactive to um, subject matter experts who, who are the bid directors who drive the bid process and the bid team report to them. And others where, like, like I have on Mace on the strategic stuff where the bid team and I and strategic pursuits drive the process and the subject matter experts support us as mm. opposed to the way around. So it's probably defining the problem you're trying to solve is probably the first place to start. Yeah, and and then the sponsorship of that bid team. So uh, is it someone in middle management just getting some people in to turn the handle mm. or is it a properly sponsored initiative from the board down recognising that, a change needs to happen or, or a problem needs needs to be solved and, and that that team is properly sponsored as the wind in their sails because those are very different scenarios and it's it's quite interesting in my new world my new uh, you know working in my business going and talking to clients trying to you know do some work with them or whatever um i can tell in the first about a minute when i meet someone which type of world they live in mm -hmm. whether they're living in a business that's really professionalized and has great sponsorship of and, and senior people involved and understanding what the value that big teams can deliver or the people who just spend all day getting the shit kicked out of them <laughs> um in a in a horrible environment where they're treated like an administrative function lots of late nights 
all of that sort of stuff. And it's quite stark. Mm. Um, quite often, actually, it could be the same person who, you know, the, 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 the attributes, skill levels, competence of those two people can be the same. It's just one works for in the right environment and one doesn't. Yeah, yeah. I found some really intelligent, interesting people who, for one reason or another, in, are in either situation which is quite it's an interesting thing um i think the other dynamic it's interesting we you know you said that people can draw a structure chart and then try and recruit people into it the problem in the bids and proposals world certainly in the uk is that there aren't that many great people working in the discipline there's lots of people who have fallen into it etc when you try to recruit people it's really hard so sometimes if you find a superstar or two bit like a football team you're better off building the rest of your team around them um, to deliver an outcome rather than coming up with a notional idea of what the structure should be and trying to find people to do those jobs it's quite difficult yeah i I guess so depends on the size of the team and the function yeah i suppose um not to not to disagree with you but i think i don't think you should ever design a team around certain people Maybe maybe needs must if you've got a resource shortage and and having tried to recruit and run a bid team in Leicester, we probably designed how the team run and worked a bit to reflect on the lack of bid people in Leicester compared to London, let's say. Mm. Um, but yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you do, but I, I don't know if I would. That's that's where I'd start, and and you you'd hope those those high high quality bit bid resources would kind of fit into the structure you've set as opposed to design the set designing around them mm. i don't know so um how about roles then so traditionally I've, I've, I've kind of got some views here you know people design a bid team as a head of bid there's some bid managers and then you might have some writers and coordinators and that's kind of your triangle if you like of the bid team mm. and and there might be some layers of management within that but possibly not that everyone probably reports into the head of bids unless you're a big bid big function generally it's going to be quite a flat management structure so i've got a view that actually um there are a couple of roles that we don't really see enough of in the industry one of which i think is one that is in big organizations but not in the small which is ownership of lessons learned and kind of your uh your knowledge library Mm. yeah um and i often think that's given to quite a junior person might be a part-time person or someone who's not really in the bid profession, but it's kind of where they get slotted. I think that's actually a really real big shame because it's such a important role um, in making the bid team more efficient is the high quality, you know, standard information and, and, and past answers that I think, I think we could probably learn a lot from sort of high end academics in terms of like librarians and that kind of stuff. You know, not talking like, you know, your your part time librarian on on minimum wage in your local library, and talking like these people who are actually experts in knowledge man, data management, proper knowledge, proper pro- yeah. knowledge management. I think I think that's often lacking in bid team design. And I think the at the other end, I think in the emerging world of of a lot more data being available in the in the market, whether it's you know great platforms like Contract Advance or or Stottles, who we've had at our breakfast event before, or others like that, or some of the emerging stuff we talked about in the podcast previously, where people are taking data of past performance of bids and using that to do predictive analysis on how you perform in the future in this particular scenario. I think ownership of that data and allowing the head of bids to make data-driven decisions on them when do they invest their time going forward, I think I've not yet seen a team that has a proper bid data person who's really owning client data and performance data Mm. and is you know probably taking the step change that i can't even articulate or kind of think about now but you know is 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 driving forward the team in a different way than just kind of getting a bit reactive on poor performance losing bids and then just chucking more people into the bid team or Mm. doing a bit of training at random and then not following through. I think. I think. I think um, those two kind of roles probably are missing in, in a lot of bid teams. Yeah, I, th- I think the other one is the research, as in proactive research of not just opportunities that are coming, but that whole underlying data scrape and uh, insight piece for capture. 
is uh, there, there's a contractor out there that I've heard of that the owners have two researchers. I think the owners live in Monaco, actually, and they have two researchers that just work with them, maybe part-time, but all they're doing is researching opportunities, who all the key stakeholders are, what keeps Ooh, them yeah. up at night, using some interesting tools and plugins you can buy that, that look at LinkedIn and what people click on and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Proper dark arts, you know, real insight yeah. into who you're, in effect, who your bid's written to, who the audience are, but actually way before the ITT's ever written, who you need to influence. So it's all that stuff that AIG do, Applied Influence Group. If you've got a really strong researcher playing in content and, mm. then, and then using, leveraging those influencing skills um, and methodology, I think that's really powerful. And I, I don't, I, I know of very few people that play that. Yeah, way. I think that, I think, I think that's that, that's an addition to that performance data role, isn't it? Mm really really having time someone in the team who has time to do all that stuff that actually we know um makes a big difference but yeah. quite often and I've, you know even i've got kind of i've got a pitch now whereby we know who from the client team is coming to our office to do the day-long kind of deep dive and the bid manager just just on you know in terms of resource capacity They've only really got capacity at the moment to brief the 20 or so people we need to be coming in and out of the room and talking about different things, getting all the logistics of it sorted. You need another person to be going, right, I'm going to go real, do a dig deep dive into these people, go speak to our team on the ground, what do they know, and actually turn all that data into something usable. That's probably the other mm -hmm. part. It's great to have a researcher, but it's someone who can then intelligently articulate that to your stakeholders, subject matter experts, so they can actually understand it. And they need to understand the business in order to yeah. do that. Because you, you can buy, there are companies out there that provide that kind of research service, or a lot of it, um, but having an understanding of the business and, and tuning that into what's important is quite a strong thing. So I, you know, I do some of that for some of my clients, but probably not that well compared to proper professional analysts who have access to a range of tools and subscriptions for things that I don't. Yeah. So I guess I guess with those bookmarks of kind of the data and the and the lessons learned and the knowledge sharing, you still need to design a. I guess the doing bit of the bid function. Yeah. Any thoughts on how you scale that? How you can put some you know measures in of of what the outcomes you want and how you might scale the, and shape the shape the team. So this the the speech that I gave at the Wibat conference last year. Uh, which you can search for. I did a webinar version of it. We'll put it in the we'll put it in the show put notes. Put it in the show notes. The, had a bit about this. It, actually, it was largely about breaking out of company structures and, and sort of matrices things. So, the, one of the problems for bid teams, if you get if it's caught up in a big, so particularly big corporates, big corporates have or think they have really well structured HR led performance management environments so everyone has an appraisal every year in that appraisal you talk about what's happened in the previous year and then you set some objectives for the following year um, what I've found that's quite interesting and I've got this challenge with some of my clients is that um, there's a couple of things at play one, one they're not very well set up so that um, the member of staff sets or takes and pitches their objectives that they want to have for the following year to their line manager so you've got kind of bottom up, whereas really uh, organisations are like a big pyramid scheme of a point. Uh, you have the board should have their objectives; though those should be rolled down to the next level. And you know, in effect, you can roll down, roll up everybody's objectives, so everybody's aligned. Mm -hmm. So your objective should be a subset of uh, your line manager, etc., etc., etc. So there's a lot of organisations that don't do that and have that alignment, which is frustrating. <clears throat> Clearly, for the bid team, there's, there's going to be a big skew towards work winning in that. Um, but uh, the, the other aspect is that they have standard scorecards that everybody has, and they, you might be measured on competencies, all that kind of stuff. But they're still up the chain. There's still a human factor. So it's quite easy and almost required of line managers to skew those results across their group of people that they're looking after because there might be bonuses at play and so uh, you have a performance curve uh, and normally most people are in the middle and then you might have a couple of high achievers and but you've got a couple of lower achievers but depending on where the bonus pot needs to go uh, or how much of it there is you want to keep your high achievers happy so you might end up with some people in the middle 
not getting a bonus or not getting as much all that kind of stuff that drives behaviours or at least their scores um, that's quite challenging for bidding people because we, we have we create huge value for the organisation largely work really hard for it but are probably remunerated like an admin function and not seen the value isn't understood yeah um so then how does that how does that play into the kind of design of your bid team then so do you think there's actually a benefit in in having a more more varied roles with just like a load of bid bid managers and a load of bid coordinators to have a more distinct function in the process so it's easier easier to manage and then set objectives against or you know so as an example works in an organization where no two bid managers actually are doing the same thing. So there's a bid manager who actually is more of a review manager and there's a bid manager who's more of a um, kind of front-end proposal creator storyboarder. There's a bid manager who's more like a project manager. But they're all called bid manager and I guess they're all measuring the same thing. So do you think mm-hmm. actually there's benefit in being more specific with the roles in a team than just having kind of those very kind of vague top titles of bid manager, bid coordinator, bid writer? Um, I think the key is having clear roles and responsibilities and, and measuring that are measurable and, and measuring against them, whatever people are doing. We had the opposite problem at MACE. So I, I designed the performance management um, environment. So all of the role descriptions, career pathways, um, and in effect, scorecards for appraisals for the MACE bid team. I think they're still the ones that I probably did. It wasn't that long ago. Um and the reason why we standardised that was because we'd had lots of people join over quite a long period of time on different role descriptions. Uh, their appraisal objectives were all over the place and we, we weren't all pulling in the same direction. So we landed a scope of services for the team, which we put out to the business and said, this is what we do. And then everyone's role, whether they're a bid manager, a bid writer, a graphics person, they had their roles and responsibilities against that as a matrix and those roles and responsibilities basically were copied and pasted into their role description. Um, so it was very clear the part they were playing in the success of the team. Yeah. Um, but if you wanted to... So what, what about so what about scaling the team then? So how do you work out whether you need... Because I guess if you ask any head of bids, do you need more people to do what you need to do? They'll say yes. Yeah. So how do you actually kind of design the scale of your bid team do you think well i think uh, the basic way i was going to say the easiest way but it's not easy but the i guess one way to do it is figuring out how many bids the business will need to do to meet its business plan how much time that takes or how much resource that takes and, and working it back from that in, yeah in terms of uh, so i guess you, you think about your win rate the type of bids you're doing and multiplying the two together and, and yeah. out comes a number and then you know roughly how long it takes. Yeah. And I guess I guess maybe does that then give you the benefit of being able to say, well, actually, because we only win one in 10, let's say, we actually have to do this many bids. So actually, just to break into one in nine or one in eight, I need this many people. And that can then drive a, conversa- a better conversation about other ways of doing it than just filling the bid team of people. Yeah. Go back to your original point of technology and different ways of working, um, virtual teams, offshoring, that kind of thing. That actually there's, it, I guess it comes back to knowing what the outcome you want, which I guess in, 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 in this case is what's the, what do you need to win and working back from there as to what does the optimum team team balance look like? Yeah. Um, I, and there are some metrics, aren't there, around how many pages someone can do or write, so if you know the size of your bid. But I think... Um, if if you're if someone is coming in to redesign a bid team, i.e. they're taking on a new role, then the first step is probably to get all that historical data, isn't it, and design the team around that. Mm. Um, the problem is the team doesn't exist on its own. It's got all of its interface with the business, all of its stakeholders. And that that was the challenge that I had at Mace. That was my job at, at Mace. Really, uh, was to. Um, evolved the team into a high-performing team that was more mm. thoughtful about how it went about things and obviously raised the win rate. And we largely achieved that one way or another, um, but not completely. And it was bloody hard work. And one, one of the bits that was most difficult is you've got to take a whole business with you. Um, you know, the whole business has got to make better bid investment decisions, has got to uh, 
deliver the things that it promises the team when it says it's going to deliver them all of that sort of stuff. Yeah. It's it's a bit of a challenge. Okay. Um, I guess the other thing that I've heard a lot about of late, and again, it's related to quality of uh, resources out there, is there's a conversation about do you do you um, employ some bid writers or do you teach the subject matter experts how to write Ooh, bids? Yeah. Because there's a shortage of great bid writing people and they're getting ever more expensive, you know, supply and demand. Um, there is a case out there for training your stakeholders. I, I think you need both. Mm. And, and so I can only talk from kind of a traditional way of bidding, you know, PQQ, backwards looking, tender, forward looking. Mm. I think you need writers at PQQ stage to be able to write case studies. And that often isn't subject matter experts. Yeah. So they need to be the ones interviewing subject matter experts, getting their content, using past content, et cetera, et cetera, um, and crafting case studies that align to um, the market criteria. And gone are the days, you know, 10 years ago when I was doing bids where we had a rep- we had a repository of case studies and the clients said, give us five examples and we would just cop- we would just literally put those in. You know, clients now have specific marking schemes and every single case study is asking for different information. And, and that's a conversation of the time is actually – is that really adding value? Because all you're doing is massively increasing the cost of doing bidding. Mm. Um, whereas if there was a standard way, let's say per industry or even per sub-industry, um, that you would write a case study, then couldn't everyone just write their case studies and a client could kind of pick. Um, but I think when you get to the tender stage, you write, you need your subject matter experts able to write because actually mm. I've not yet really got to the point of having a really good writer who can sit down with a subject matter expert, run the storyboarding. So it might be multiple people, particularly for the complex consultancy stuff that that goes on. You might have a team of four or five subject matter experts from different areas and can not just write the answer, but help them craft the story. I think Mm. I I haven't yet found someone who I kind of was comfortable could really, really do that in a a decent amount of time. You know, if, if it gave them six weeks and, and a full-time team sitting with them for six weeks they probably could do it but actually it needs to be something to sit down and have two or three hours learn what they're trying to say has a bit of subject knowledge so they can kind of build the information from their own knowledge as well and build the answer from their own knowledge and come back relatively quickly with the first rough draft that isn't going to be torn apart by the smes so i think then you're right i think you i think if you're not training your and not considering your subject matter experts, you know, partners, directors, etc., from in your business as part of the bid team, you've already started to fail. And that, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. that's that's a really good point, actually. That yeah, investing in training, but also knowing who they are, um, knowing who are the good ones, and it's not just who's available to work on your bid gets it. You need the good people to work on it. I think is 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 really important. Lots of businesses get that wrong. Yeah, but actually, what we've started doing as well in the very back end, the copywriting, you know doing the final edit we've started outsourcing that yeah i was going to say that's that's partly where i started the conversation from because i've heard of people are just employing journalistic writers who aren't bidding bid, you know, professional bid writers to just come and polish the stuff the smes have uh, have generated towards the end yeah and i think that's what we've got to be careful because if we could say it's just polishing then it doesn't people don't see the value add in mm. in the business so i think when someone's trying to kind of build the business case for this and about using external resource, it's not just, oh, they'll just take the content and make it, you know, tidy it up. Because uh, in the worst case, someone's like, well, my PA can do that. They can use Word. And I've had that in the past, you know, a partner who didn't see the value of bid people. Well, my PA can use InDesign, so they'll do that. I don't need to have an external person to do it. Um, but actually, they're really adding value because if you structure it properly, you've got a proper um, copy editing guide, set terms key messages and they're not just polishing they're actually editing copy to make it mark score higher because they know how the marks are are weighed out and i think that's the difference between Mm. a bunch of journalists you might randomly grab off the street who'd be great at writing um and trained copywriters who work in bids who Mm. some bid firms call bid writers but in my view aren't bid writers they're copywriters who work on bids um and we've had a firm working with us now on a couple of pitches and they've really added value because they've not just edited, they've come back on questions and this doesn't really make sense. And or like, oh, actually on question four, you said that. And on question 17, you're saying that, you know, because they've got kind of a, a view of the whole thing without being caught in the weeds of the detail. So 
yeah, I, I think when you're designing your team, come back to the original question, you've got to think about how you get external support in to deal with peaks and troughs and also that they might just be a better resource to have to do stuff that you maybe not need the whole time. And then I guess the, the other aspect that's not new news but still feels like it is, is around virtual teams, remote working and even offshoring. Mm. Um, I mean, I, I, we both have a view about offshoring. I, I know of companies that have offshored a bunch of stuff along with all of their actual business process in the background uh, but they've offshored their uh, their bid management and bid writing so that their bid managers in the UK press a button at the end of the day and they, then they come in the next morning and there's a bunch of stuff that's been rewritten designed etc because it's gone off to somewhere in Asia yeah um, I've not had a great experience of it yet but I think I think you're right if, if you've got that capacity in your business then you should be considering it when you do your um your kind of bid team design i guess the i guess in terms of the day-to-day businesses that that we work with or we know or might be listening to this that probably is a lesser opportunity yeah. unless you're a big function you know so where we come to so to kind of summarize i think where we've got to you need to start with the the why you're doing it you know the performance metrics what's the problem you're trying to solve in redesigning the team um need to consider not just people but technology and other ways of of leveraging the capability within your business with that subject matter experts or offshoring or the others um and then i think we have slightly differing views of the design of roles i think you mm. you prefer a relatively standard role set which which is probably preferable in terms of performance management i'm of an opinion that i'd prefer to have a team that has quite different role sets even at sort of the same bid management grade and they work more together mm. and kind of have a specific role in the process. And that's only because I guess I work in an industry where generally bids are relatively quite repetitive. So we can say, right, we need a, a specialist in X and a specialist in Y. They might both be called bid managers, but they actually do different roles. Interesting. So, that, so I, I suppose, um, that kind of sums up our our views on on bid writing, right? Mm. Um, shall we shall we go on to our question of the day? Yeah, um, which is an anonymous one. So um, <clears throat> let me just play the jingle, and we will go into it. So our question of the day comes in anonymously, and maybe that's because this person has got this... Oh, the dog's just jumped off me. Um, maybe that's because this person's got this problem right now and doesn't want to say who they are. But their question is, tips for recovering a bid, a bad bid, when you've only got a few days left? Okay. Yeah, it's, it's something we've, we've all faced, isn't it? Um, so something I talk about when I'm doing the live version of my training which sets people on their heels a little bit is through you know obviously i've got a a methodology in the bid toolkit that has gateways for reviews uh, that aren't dissimilar to the sorts of stuff you see in other people's methodology because best practice is best practice but one of the things i have a slide that comes up one of the things is you might need to sack someone you might need to change someone in your bid team um something might not be working so it not sack someone out of the business. I oh, just, right. I'm sorry. I just, I just mean sack them I'm, out I'm of I'm sitting here team. looking panicked, thinking, especially your bid's not going around, someone gets the sack two days before the bid goes. Yeah, no, not out of the business. I just mean you may well have a subject matter expert who hasn't delivered on what they've promised um, in terms of content. They've probably egged you along as a bid team and said, yeah, yeah, I'm working on that. Off. I'm halfway through. And the reality is they've got a blank Word document on their, their laptop and they're hiding in the hot desks, shitting their pants. Um, <laughs> that, that used to happen in a certain contractor with me all the time. Um, and so it may well be that you have to escalate to the responsible director or the sponsor um, that someone needs to change and actually you need a shitload of resource to come and jump onto a particular aspect of the bid to come and solve that problem. But the the key thing is, is that if you're the bid manager, that you have a bid leader or responsible director that you that should actually be fully aware of what's going on because you're probably having daily or fairly regular powwows. Hopefully you've been managing a bid plan and sort of red, amber, greening progress against dates 
So to be honest with you, in theory, you should never get to this point. But in practice, we all know it happens to us where yeah. pe- people let you down. But one of the key things is that you you need to be able to escalate it to a bid leader who should be able to respond escalate it to a sponsor board member whatever it is to get some action done and that needs to happen i I think that's a really good point is is when it goes wrong it's it's natural for bid teams trying to take it on themselves to solve Mm. and i've seen you know quite competent senior bid managers plural um who in the in the um when things go wrong either go back into their shell and become a bid coordinator you know, they kind of go back in, they get back into trying to organise meetings and, you know, getting caught up in what the programme is and rescheduling things and everything else uh, and not really kind of seeing the big picture or um, trying to take it all on themselves, hmm. trying to do, you know, and he's writing and this person doing is that I'll write it myself. And actually, that's probably one of my biggest weaknesses is um, because I can write as well as bid direct um, and then my, my, my team in... in Mace tells me off for this is I'll take on heavy hitting questions that go wrong. Mm. Um, and it's something I'm trying to teach myself not to do and find who's doing it because actually it's a natural thing to say, do you know what? I can just see the answer. I can just do it and get it done. And I think the, the knock on of that is that then the, the bid manager or the bid person isn't doing the job they should be doing. Yeah. Either they're worrying too much about coordinating production plans with the graphics team rather than <coughs> trying to resolve the problem or they're kind of trying to write, rewrite the answers rather than escalating, getting new people onto the bid, et cetera, et cetera. But a key point for me is most, you're, you're engineered by trade and things, and you understand the things that your business is yeah. writing about most of the time. Um, <laughs> there, there are a lot of people like me who aren't. You know, I've just got a business degree, and I've been doing the work-winning bit since year dot. So... I'm not competent to write about program management or whatever it is. As much as I've rewritten loads of responses and read loads of stuff, fundamentally that bid forms part of your contract. And if you've written something in that bid that the business can't stand behind, um, guess who gets the bullet? Um, So bidding people, I always said it to my staff at Mason and previously, um, you cannot be responsible actually for anything on any people bit of paper that goes into a client there's got to be someone sign someone's got to have written it that's credible and someone else has to sign it off who's responsible yeah um because if you put anything in that bid and you're you're winging it um unfortunately when big deals go wrong um you get you know get very highly paid consultants whose job it is to find the the root cause or levers they can pull in a court of law and you definitely don't want to be you definitely don't want to be there do you <laughs> yeah thank, thank you i never had that problem so um hopefully it's not one that, that has come up for you i suppose there's, there's some quick wins you can do if your bids are going wrong just to finish up on so um i fa- i firmly believe especially where it is a large proposal that making it look nice makes a difference right and there are people who don't who wouldn't agree with me and say it's the content and they are the people that will read the content but having marked bids from a marker's point of view, as well as seeing people mark bids properly, you know, having sat client side, um, a good looking bid makes a difference. So I don't, you know, if your bid's going wrong, you shouldn't sacrifice the stuff you do at the back end to make give your bid that polish um, for the sake of, you know, scrapping too much. I think secondly, it's consistency. So one of the big things that lets bids down is silly errors. Yeah. So if your bid's gone wrong, you might not be able to solve it, but at least you can solve all the silly errors and and play the numbers. So if you've got a particularly bad answer that you can't solve, well, can you get that from a poor to a reasonable as opposed to trying to get it to excellent and just just say, sack it off, get to reasonable, get it in production, get it tidied up, make it look good, and let's win it somewhere else. Mm. So I think it's that kind of strategic thinking of how are you going to win it that um, you need to kind of put to play in this last few days. Actually, how do you deliver the best overall product that is going to win the win the deal as opposed to purely focusing on the problem because actually you might only have one real problem and you're ignoring that you're you know two percent away from getting the next mark on three or four other questions so i think there's a tendency maybe that people will focus on the bad rather than dealing with the bad and then focusing on making the good even better So next breakfast event is 
in March. Yep, 25th of March. 25th of March, which is Wednesday as always. Yep. At Brigade. And one of the topics is document and um, information design. It is, yeah. Um, so we've got is it Helen from Ritz McKay yeah. on that panel. We've got Jack Strickland, uh, my mate, who's a bid manager, but a creative one, uh, and manages creatives, more design people, so bringing that aspect. Um, and we've got Ollie, um, who used to work with Jack, whose idea it was for this panel, because he's a bit professional bid designer, has been for a few years, but was a, des- a, a document designer in other industries before. And this panel was about his question to me at the last breakfast event, where do I access thought leadership, best practice in, in bidding design? Because he just couldn't find anything mm. or much that's credible. So that's 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 the reason for the panel. And you've got Hobbs, Hobbs as well. Yes, sorry, Hobbs, our sponsor, um, have got somebody on that panel as well. Yeah. And actually, I, we, I've had something that was that's been designed by Hobbs recently a bid that was designed by Hobbs and um, really good information design had really thought about you know not just in terms of like how they put the information but the I guess the bid brand how it kind of tied together across the sections and um, using icons and stuff that could resonate with with the client and those yeah so I think they'll be really good as well because um, I don't like most people had considered them really as a print house they've actually got a really solid graphics capability and a design capability that I think that I think is probably underplayed because people see them as a rep graphics um, I've seen as well do you know online they've got some sort of contract with government we'll have to ask them to come on and talk about it for kind of 3D design have yeah, you yeah, seen yeah. this? yeah I've been to their uh, facility at Here East it's really impressive yeah yeah, yeah. They've got, I think they've got the biggest 3D printer in Europe or something like that there's something biggest thing in Europe that was some sort of thing <laughs> Um, Biggest thing big, in your machine. What is that? We'll have to ask them. We'll have to ask them. Yeah. <laughs> Something that was huge and it was big, bigger than anything else in Europe. Yeah, I think yeah. it was a 3D printer. I think that'd be a good event. I'm really looking forward to it. So, what else are you up to in the next couple of weeks then? Uh, oh, you've got me on the hop. Um, so, well, shall I tell you what I'm up to? Yeah, go for it. So, I am. Um, I've had two two major bids going this week that that thankfully had been very well bid managed by one of our bid managers whilst I was on holiday, and we weren't the lead in the consortium, which is always helpful because I don't have the last minute stress. Um, so they've gone in, but I've got a bid going on in Hong Kong at the moment, okay. which is proving really interesting because it's quite simple in terms of what they're asking for. But in, t- in Chinese procurement, the kind of so there's some weird requirements, like particularly in how it has to be printed and delivered. Yeah. So we've got that challenge, but thankfully actually Hobbs, funny enough, have, have linked us in one of their partner organizations in Hong Kong, MKK. Um, but we're just trying to make sure we've got the logistics right with coronavirus and also oh, the God, civil, yeah. unrest, civil unrest in Hong Kong. Yeah, yeah. So that, because there's curfews and all sorts going on, that A, that we don't have the language barrier of basically every section has to be printed twice, one bound, one unbound on different ways of printing, colour and, and, and the like. And then how it all has to be delivered in separate envelopes and then go into one big envelope that goes off to the client and hand delivered to a post box that's inside the airport. So we can't put it in the post has to be hand-delivered to this post box in the airport. Um, and so actually, logistics has become a massive part of the bid plan because it's just not as easy as like you think, I just stick it on the portal, I'll stick it, with, give it to a courier and they'll oh go to the reception. No. So that's been really interesting. Yeah, actually, that's a unique challenge. Yeah, it's been interesting. So that goes in um, you know, in, in a couple of weeks' time. So um, yeah, that's a nice nice big chunky thing in Hong Kong as well. So Very good. Crossed. And it's not, even though I said the airport, it's not actually for actually on the airport which is quite interesting we're just having to have the offices there so okay yeah um so yeah i've got a couple of weeks of varying interesting things so i've picked up um more coaching stuff with different clients uh, as a result of a bit of a call out for that earlier in january so i've um yeah, i've really started converting some uh, new clients so i've got a small specialist uh claims quantity surveying practice where i'm going to coach and train all of their people about 10 i think that face into the public sector um, in bidding but also just general sort of bd and sales skills um, so that starts on on monday um what else have we got going on i've got a couple of conferences that i'm going to on behalf of morgan sindal cambridge to oxford arc stuff got a senior away day 
which I think is code for piss up with their senior team uh, on Thursday. I'm going to YPO on Friday to talk to them about some stuff I can't tell you about. Um, I tell you that this is a theme of the podcast is you're always doing very secret things that we can't talk yeah, about. Yeah, well, that one, I've, it's not actually bidding related, really, that no. meeting. It's something else that I'm talking about doing with them as part of our partnership. Yeah. Um, but sounds it's, it's sounds like a busy, a busy, busy couple of weeks there for you. Well, that's just next week. Um, yeah, I've got loads. Of, I've, I'm doing some training with a big, well-known brand the following week. Uh, who've brought me in? I've got a B two B with a client. I definitely can't tell you about because I do super secret stuff. Um, more Morgan, Morgan Sindlin. So, yeah. So yeah. Uh, oh, and I'm starting a research project for for Morgan Sindlin. How, well. how do you find time for all this? life in it just get on keep and do the it. plate spinning i've realized on friday i'm going to um i got an invite i think everyone on the media has probably got it but the invite to the apmp on something empathy in business a training thing on friday oh yeah so i I'm wasn't to invited to. i'm sure you were i don't think i was maybe maybe i missed the email you must i did i think you sure i'm sure you missed the email because it was just one of their general kind of it was from apmp us right so it comes in that kind of weird format. So unless you've you've got all your emails and stuff right on there, I mean you might not got it. But that's gonna be quite interesting. So it's the lady who did the keynote at their conference is doing a session on empathy in business. So I think oh, at the UK conference. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Barbara, Brenda, Brenda. So I think that'll be that'll be really interesting. So I'm looking forward to that. And then of course, now doing all our massive to do list for the conference and breakfast events so um, <laughs> we need to get on with it that's what i'm doing for the next two weeks really yeah <laughs> <laughs> working through all the tasks you've set me very good yeah. well um a great to have a chat in person It'll be interesting how it comes out because we're recording off a single single microphone mm. um but thank you for popping down to london today and good chat as always thank you mate um thanks for listening the show notes, as always, will be, um, well, there's a link in the description, but it's uh, shortthoughts.micreader.me. That takes you to um, my blog where we now keep the show notes. We found that um, they displayed in so many different ways on so many different products, you know, Google Podcasts, Android, um, Apple, etc. that we now host them all there. So we'll make sure we get the link to the video that Jeremy's mentioned and of course, links to Bid Toolkit and our events and everything else are on there should you wish to come join us. So um, thanks for listening. Thank you very much, Jez. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dash, the podcast dog, who is sitting us, and Kate, who's been, who's been coughing in the background every now and again. <laughs> Bye. Bye-bye.